0: just ask you, have you ever been under pressure? (laughs) Those of you watching online, you know, put your hand up in the chat. Anybody ever been under pressure, like maybe the last few years or something? You know, where you felt like there was just so much coming against you, whether it was in a relationship or health or finances. I think who we really are comes out under pressure, which is a little frightening, isn't it? You know, one of the most challenging verses to me, and I'm pretty sure this verse has not made it onto a refrigerator magnet, is, um, or a t-shirt, nobody ever does this one. James 1 verse 2, it says this, it says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, and that's like financial or a marriage collapse or loss of a job, it's just because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And then it says, let perseverance finish its work so then you'll be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So maturity is the goal. And the interesting thing about this verse is it doesn't say that, you, that it's older people that are mature or the people that are the most educated are mature. No, it says the people that actually persevere. Those are the ones where maturity is shown. So what this is saying is let the pressure that we're all under, let it produce good things. Now, In evaluating, you know, prime ministers or presidents or leaders, I mean, whether it's a scholar evaluating them or just the average person, the greatest leaders are determined generally by the magnitude of the crisis during which they led. So in our country, Abraham Lincoln is considered a great leader, and it was because he, he his guidance during a time when our country was being ripped into, or Martin Luther King Jr. during a time when our country was being ripped into racially, or Winston Churchill for his unflagging leadership during World War II. And there's an Australian woman named Edith Cowan, and, and she had to push through a lot of things that she fought for the rights of women in this country. And so when we go through difficulties, when the pressure is on, when we think life is terrible, and it certainly feels that way, But it's the difficulties that we go through, just like these men and women, that actually lead to their greatness. And I want to say to you, there is greatness within you. Greatness within you. And it will be revealed during the challenges that you go through. Greatness, or it's opposite, because we've certainly seen that, will be revealed under pressure. Is that encouraging? Sort of. All right. Um, At one point in his life, the Apostle Paul was a prisoner in Rome, and he was imprisoned for his faith. Ultimately, he would be beheaded. And while he was there, he wrote some letters to the churches. And we call these the prison letters, the prison epistles. And these are Ephesians and Colossians and Philippians. And he wrote the letter to the Colossians mainly because there was this group of people trying to undermine the lordship of Jesus. And so he was reminding them of who Jesus was. And in the last chapter of this book, he encourages people with three thoughts. Okay, now this is someone who's navigated serious challenges, navigated serious pressure. So I think we should probably pay attention to the man because he's saying, you got to do these things. When you're under pressure, you got to do these three things. Are you ready? Are you ready? Yes. Okay, making sure you're awake. <laughs> Listen, I'm the jet-lagged one, not you. You should be awake. All right, so Paul is saying, do these three things. Colossians 4, verse 2 says, Pray diligently, stay alert, with your eyes wide open in gratitude. So the first thing he says that we're supposed to be doing under pressure is pray diligently. Diligence. Now, this word comes from a word meaning devotion. So he's saying we're supposed to pray with devotion. All right. Think about all the things that you are devoted to. Your family, maybe a job, uh, football, rugby league. Pastor Sean? (laughs) Uh, Well, my mom is a serious football fan, American football fan. There's a team called the Dallas Cowboys, and she is a Dallas Cowboy fan. And whenever they're, she's 85, and whenever they're on the TV, she's yelling at the refs like they hear her. She's throwing pillows at the TV if they're not, she's passionate. She's devoted to the Dallas Cowboys. And then my husband is a serious baseball fan. So when there's, you know, baseball games on, he's yelling, he's shouting, he's devoted. And then there are some fans who, you know, camp outside ticket gates so they can be the first one at a concert. Some of you are devoted to your favorite band or or so they can see, you know, their first, the the movie when it first comes out. Remember theaters? That's those buildings we used to be able to go inside and, you know, watch a movie. Remember them? Well, um, I've only actually done that one time. Like stood out for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours to be, you know, the first in line so I could see a movie. And it was in 1980. Some of you weren't born, so shut up. It was a movie called The Empire Strikes Back, Star Wars. I didn't care. I mean, I'm a Star Wars nerd, so I didn't care how long the wait was. I was getting into that theater. I was devoted. Well, Paul is saying that that's the kind of attitude we're supposed to have when it comes to prayer. We're supposed to be devoted like that. Now, maybe you grew up in a home where you didn't pray. Or maybe in your home, prayer was more of an obligation or it was something you should do. And maybe you struggle with what to say. You know, maybe you wonder if there are words you're supposed to say or, you know, scripture you're supposed to recite. Or, or maybe when you pray, you just find yourself being distracted. I mean, we're busy people, right? We're hurried and we move fast. And so sometimes it's difficult just to find the time or the space, right? And you find yourself, your mind wandering to other things. You go, I'm going to pray. And then your mind starts to wander to all the things you should be doing. Or maybe, maybe you're a little cynical, you know, maybe a little suspicious about prayer because maybe you prayed for something for a long time and you didn't get the answer you wanted. And so you're left thinking, God, why didn't you do something about that? And I imagine every one of us in this room and online, you have a that that you prayed for. Some of you are still waiting for that. Some of you are still dealing with that. Some of you are sitting next to that, right? And some of you, maybe you're wondering if God is listening, if he really cares. But you know, if you look through scripture, regardless of what you think about the Bible, regardless of what your religious background is, but if you look through the Bible, If you just open it up and look at the stories, it is almost all a form of prayer. From Adam and Eve talking to God in the garden, the Bible is full of men and women who talked to God and he answered. You know, Moses cried out to God and God spared Israel from judgment. Joshua's prayer made the sun stand still. Hannah's prayer was answered with the baby boy. Solomon got wisdom in the answer to his prayer. Ten lepers prayed one time and were instantly healed. And then the book of Psalms is a book of prayers. I mean, just think about David's approach. He wasn't trying to make it pretty. He, he would say things like, God, where are you? Help me, listen to me. David would go boldly to God and tell him what was on his mind. He wasn't afraid to say what he was thinking. And so that, to me, that's our model. Be real with God. He already knows anyway. Might as well just be real with him. And then if you look at the life of Jesus, the one thing Jesus did more than anything else is he prayed. I mean, he was perfect, son of God, perfect, and he prayed. So I'm thinking, you know, maybe we should too. Even when the crowds would gather around him and life got busy, there'd be times when you could see him just stepping aside to pray because he believed it mattered. He believed it mattered, which is why, you know what? The disciples wanted to be students of prayer more than anything. The disciples came to Jesus in the book of Luke, and they said to him, teach us to pray. Did you know that in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there is only one recorded request of the disciples asking Jesus to teach them anything. And it was teach us to pray. I mean, think about that. They'd seen him preach. They'd seen him heal. They'd seen him walk on water and raise the dead and multiply fishes and loaves. But the one thing they asked was, can you teach us to pray? They didn't ask how to do any of that other stuff. They just said, can you teach us to pray? Because they probably knew that it was from the, the power from the praying that actually led to all of the other things. So where, when should we pray? Well, James says this in chapter five. He says, are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you've committed any sins, you'll be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. So don't miss what James is saying here. He's saying that no matter what situation you're in, it's better to face it with God. So he highlights a couple of scenarios that we're supposed to be praying. And the first one he says, and I'm going to have some basically emojis help tell the story of when we're supposed to pray. All right. They'll put them up on the screen. So the first time we're supposed to pray, he says, is when we're in trouble. So basically when our life feels a little bit like that. Right. You know, it's funny is my mom thought that was chocolate ice cream and she kept sending that to me. Moms, quit sending me poop emojis. Oh, is that poop? Yeah. Anyway, so. So he says, we're supposed to pray when we're in trouble, when life feels like that. And this, this is interesting, it's the only place in the entire New Testament. That's not, I'm just standing here. This is the only place in the entire New Testament where this word for trouble is used. And it means suffering through tough times, you know, not related to sickness. So this is the time when there isn't enough money to pay the bills, anybody ever been there? When you know, a storm destroys your home or your business, James says, pray. When your friend is acting like a jerk, James says, pray. When your marriage is at a rough place, pray. When your child is struggling, pray. When you feel like the rug is being pulled out from under your life, pray. When you need help, pray. When you're confused, pray. That's what he's talking about. And those of you online, if that's you, if you're in that season, put the poop emoji right in the chat. Go right ahead. Okay, so he says we're supposed to pray when we're in trouble. You know, we need help. And then he says we're supposed to pray when we're happy. You know, when our face looks like that, when that emoji is in our life, the happy face emoji. You know, we, we teach our kids to say thank you, and we should, you know, when they receive something. And that's great. We just want to make sure that we give thanks to God, right, when good things come our way. So in this verse, James is reminding those who are happy, who are on the mountaintop. And if you are on the mountaintop, good for you. Yay. I mean, enjoy this moment because there's always a valley. I wish I could tell you that life was mountaintop, 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 heaven. But it isn't, is it? It's mountaintop, valley, mountaintop, yay, valley. Interesting thing though, fruit doesn't grow on the mountaintops, fruit grows in the valley. Who you are is being forged in the valley. So remember that, but while you're on the mountaintop, go ahead and be grateful, acknowledge God. And in this, in this room, I imagine there are people that God has done things for. Anybody, God Has God done anything for anybody in this room? Okay, put your hand up. Anybody online, put your hand up. Yeah, so all he's saying is that when God's doing something, you just acknowledge him. All right, so we're supposed to pray when we're in trouble and when we're happy, and then we're supposed to pray when we're sick, you know, when I have the little sick-faced emoji. Now, go ahead and do whatever treatment you're going to do. But can I just say the first thing that we should do when we're unwell is pray. I mean, take whatever you're going to take, but just pray. Let's turn to God first when we pray. And so we're supposed to pray when we're happy, when we're in trouble, when we're sick, and we're to pray when we sin. You know, and our life is like that little red face, mad emoji. We're to pray when we sin. Rather than feeling guilty or running off when we make a mistake, we're actually supposed to come to God, to God. So in all of those situations, he's saying we should pray. And I'm pretty sure that covers everything, right? So back to Colossians, this is Paul. He's giving us directions. What do we do when it feels like everything's coming against us? When we're feeling incredibly overwhelmed, he says, pray diligently. And the next thing he says to do is stay alert. So Luke 12, Jesus said this, when well, Jesus turned to the crowd and said, when you see clouds beginning to form in the West, you say, here comes a shower and you're right. When the South wind blows, you say, today will be a scorcher and it is. He says, you fools. I love Jesus. He just says it like it is. You know how to interpret the weather signs of the earth and the sky, but you don't know how to interpret the present times. I think you and I need to get really good at interpreting the time. Now, in Southern California, in the Los Angeles area, where I lived much of my life, um, we didn't really get to experience seasons. There was no big seasons changing. You know, palm trees don't change colors, and I've never built a snowman on my front yard. So basically, we have lived in perpetual spring and summer, and I'm okay with that. But I think... Other places, maybe even here, you get a little more of the season change. And so you have to be prepared for coming season. I mean, there's parts of our country that they have to do things like winterize their garden. I don't even know what that means, right? Or they have to, you know, put the snow shovel, get that out of the back room. I've never even held a snow shovel. Right? So I don't even know what, how to handle the coming seasons. And there's certain parts of the world you have to be prepared for cyclones or hurricanes you know, during the stormy season, And so the apostle Peter challenges us. He says, be alert and of sober mind. He said, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. He says, be alert. Be alert. Alert means vigilant, sleeplessly watchful. Now, I don't think it means we can't ever take a nap, but I think it means if we want to be victorious, we have to be vigilant. We have to be watchful to what's going on around us. I'm sure you've seen some of those police shows on television where the officer is on a stakeout and so the officer has to be alert and ready to catch whatever criminal they're waiting for they can't just sit in their patrol car and play video games or take a nap and I'm sure that would be easy to do in the dark and the quiet but and I'm sure there are times when the perhaps the officer wonders "Is, is this guy even coming back and I'm sure there are moments they just want to leave but what if they do what if they fall asleep well then they'll miss what they were sent for maybe you and I are on a stakeout We have to be alert to what God has trusted us to do here on planet Earth at this time. We have to be alert to the times. Alert to what is going on around us and also alert to what is going on within us. About um, 17 years ago, I uh, was in the middle of a breast cancer battle. And for a couple of weeks, I, I spent a couple of weeks in this holistic hospital and one of the tests that they gave me was something they called a stress test. And uh, before they administered the test, the doctor came to me and he said, Holly, um, so how are you doing? How are you feeling? And I said, well, I mean, I feel okay. I know I got that diagnosis, but you know, I'm, I'm confident in God and I have faith and I'm going to be fine. He goes, okay. So then he hooked me up to all the things and then he goes and does the test and he comes back and he said, well, he said, the problem is is that the stress level in your body is as if you're staring a roaring lion in the face. He said, and the real problem is that you don't know it. You are unaware of what is going on in your body. So I had to learn some things. I had to learn what actually produces stress in me and how do I handle stress? Because not all stress is bad. If you didn't have any, you'd just be a blob, right? So, but how do, you, how do you process it and how do you deal with it? So I had to learn, I had to learn to be alert to what was going on within me. We have to be alert to what's going on in our home, with our kids. I mean, how many times have you driven home and you get there to the, either the car park or the garage or the street, you get home. And then you actually don't remember how you got there. Come on, put your hand up. Yes, see, stay off the road. (laughs) Seriously, we just can sometimes go through life like that. We can't live on autopilot, right? Just getting through life like that. And so the apostle Paul is telling us to be focused and alert to what is going on around us in our communities, in our nation, in our world, because we're actually as followers of Christ supposed to be part of the solution, Right? So we have to be alert to what's going on around us. All right, back to Colossians 4. It says, pray diligently, stay alert with your eyes wide open in gratitude. So this is the last one. We have to determine to be grateful. Everyone wants to be grateful. I mean, who wants to be ungrateful? The problem is, what's your plan? What's your plan to become a more grateful person? Because nobody just drifts into Gratitude. See, I think we have this problem when it comes to gratitude. We say thank you when someone does something for us or thank you when we're given a gift, and we should. But if we start to think that we'll be grateful to the extent that we receive things or the more good things happen to us, the more grateful we'll become, well, then gratitude becomes a product of our circumstances. And gratitude is always, always, always a decision of the heart and not a result of circumstances. I mean, think about it. Have you ever noticed that two people can be in the same job or the same school, or the same long line at the cafe, or the same church, and one of them is just filled with gratitude, and the other is just a whiner and a grumbler, whinging about stuff. Right, perhaps it's because what some person sees is their right. Someone else sees as a gift And in another letter, Paul teaches us in 1 Thessalonians. He says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ. So this says a thankful heart is more than a good idea. It's the will of God for his people. He says, give thanks in all circumstances. He's not saying we have to give thanks for that circumstance, but in the middle of it, find something to be grateful for. You know, so many times as a pastor, one of the questions I would get asked by people is, What is God's will for my life? What is his plan for my life? What is my purpose? And we think that that is some mystical cloud that's gonna descend. But you know what the first step is? Be grateful. So right now, turn to the person, pick pick your favorite person you're sitting next to, and uh, just say thank you. Just say thank you. Go ahead. Okay, right there, you're in God's will. Doesn't it feel good? (laughs) give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will. Gratitude is the first step toward walking in the will of God. So I don't know what would help you be thankful, but I have a plan. I mean, maybe it's a gratitude journal, people like that. I'm not much of a journaler. I'm not saying it's bad. It's just that's one thing. And then I have this one friend who she, before she gets out of bed in the morning, she, when she puts her feet down, she just goes, thank you. Just like a little step. In our house, we have this jar. And my husband brought this jar and put it in our kitchen, big jar. And put it in our kitchen and he brought down some post-it notes and every day we were supposed to write something we were grateful for and put it in that jar. And he brought that jar and put it in the kitchen during what was the most horrible, hard, terrible season. Probably the hardest season of my life, certainly the hardest season in ministry. And I'd never really wanted to quit until this season. It was just a few years ago, maybe about five years ago. And it started, this season started with the death of my dad. My dad fell and hit his head and had a brain bleed and died. And I was really close to my father and I was um, the apple of his eye I was told every day that I was loved and he believed in me. He funded dreams in my heart. I mean, I am aware of what a blessing and a gift it is to be loved by your earthly father. It certainly made loving my heavenly father an easy step for me. So I understand how, you know, what a blessing that is. And so I was missing my dad, right? I'm grieving the loss of my father. And then just about six weeks later, someone you know, steals my husband's identity and somehow gets into our bank account and steals our savings account. I mean, the FBI got involved in everything, but because of how it was done, the bank wasn't liable. So I'm grieving the loss of my dad and then processing this financial loss. And then about a month after that, my husband gets diagnosed with cancer. And uh, brutal. And the treatment that he had to go through was so hard on his body that uh, it affected his thinking, and then he gets shingles, and it's the worst case, the doctor seen, and he couldn't really function for about five or six months. And then my daughter made a really horrible decision. So I'm, I'm processing that as a mom. And so I'm trying to lead at church to be the pastor, to inspire people and lead people. And I'm trying to be the wife and take care and love and be kind and be the mom. And I'm pretty sure I wasn't doing a good job at all of them. I'm pretty sure I was failing somewhere on the spectrum here. And then there were some people, people in my life to whom I had showed a lot of grace. They'd been a hot mess when they first walked into the church. And I'd shown them grace, and now I needed some of that grace back. I just needed some grace shown my way, and instead I didn't get that, I just got stabbed in the back. And then one of my dearest friends, absolute betrayal. Really painful. It was horrible. And I found myself just sitting on the couch and could just sense myself getting more and more bitter. You know, the Bible talks about a root of bitterness. I had a tree happening. Bitter. I was getting cynical. You know, when everything that comes out of your mouth is sarcasm, it's not always a good thing. A little cynical. And I am a real, uh, I'm probably one of the biggest extroverts in the room. I love people. I'm peopley. I like to touch people. Um, I'm peoply. And in this season, I didn't want to see anybody. And... Uh, So that's when my husband brought that jar and put it in the kitchen and said, we're going to start putting things in here we're grateful for. See, he's the Christian. You know, every marriage should have one. He's it, right? So he brings that jar down there, and then he puts all these colorful little post-it thinking that would inspire me to. No, I hated the whole thing. (laughs) Stupidest idea ever, right? So he puts that in there. He goes, we're going to write something we're grateful for. I'm like, no, we're not either. You go ahead on. I didn't know he was right. I just didn't feel it. But I know he's going to look in there. So the first day I come down and I, you know, I want to break the jar. But instead I stand there and I stand there and I'm struggling with something I can be grateful for and I couldn't find anything. There's nothing in me. And then finally I went, huh, coffee. (laughs) Come on, anybody else grateful for coffee, right? And then the next day I'm pretty sure it was... I got nothing. Oh, coffee. So for about four days was coffee. And then I think maybe after day six or seven or something, I looked up and went, "Oh, sunshine. As if that's unusual in Southern California, (laughs) sunshine. And then eventually it became my family and my home. But let me just tell you, there was not one moment that I felt gratitude. It was a decision of my will to find something to be grateful for. There was never this gratitude cloud that descended. I just made a decision and it broke something in me. I could feel that that bitterness was starting to go away. It all came out of a decision. There's a man named Dr. Dale Robbins, and he wrote this. He said, I used to think people complained because they had a lot of problems, but I've come to realize they have problems because they complain. (laughs) Complaining doesn't change anything. It doesn't make a situation better. It just spreads discontent and discord. Complaining makes us miserable. The writer of Psalm 77 said it this way. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. So maybe the reason I was feeling so overwhelmed was because I was spending so much time complaining. I know that's not you because you're all perfect here, but I'm not. The Apostle Paul's life was filled with so many difficulties that he could have complained about. Good night. I mean, he was under constant stress, confusion, persecution, beatings, shipwrecks. His life was hard, and still he was grateful. How? Because he learned a secret. Philippians 4 says, this is Paul writing. He says, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Oh, we love quoting that part, right? That part gets smacked on refrigerators and on the front of journals. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, what's he talking about? What secret is he talking about? Uh... He's learned to be content whatever the circumstance. That's how come he can do all things because he's learned to be content whatever the circumstance. He could be content in prison. He could be content at home. His joy was not based on circumstances. It was based on his relationship with Jesus. He knew he had all he needed in him. So God is saying to us, to you and to me, don't wait to be grateful. Don't postpone gratitude until you get what you want or until circumstances all line up the way that you think it should, because as soon as all that happens, you won't be grateful then anyway. You'll just keep waiting for the next thing. He's saying, choose to be grateful now. And so for me also during that really hard season, I decided to write a list of things that I most often found myself complaining about from the little things to the big things. And instead, I would flip it and find something to be grateful for. So here's my list. You can come up with your own. So I wrote this. I said, I'm grateful for. I'm grateful for the traffic I'm driving in because it means I have a car. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the spot I find at the far end of the car park because it means I'm capable of walking. I'm grateful for a bad hair day because it means I have hair. I'm grateful for my water bill and my electric bill, because it means I can get water by turning on a faucet and electricity by flipping a switch. I'm grateful. I'm grateful that I live in a country where the chances of me being beheaded for my faith are fairly small. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for jet lag, because it means I have places to go and new friends to make. I'm grateful, I'm grateful for scary, feel like throwing up walk on water moments because it means I'm getting to use my faith. I'm grateful for challenges in relationships because it means I have relationships worth fighting for. And I'm grateful for the alarm that went off very early today. Because it means God's trusted me with another day. Determine to be grateful. I know that there are very real pressures on all of us. I know that. And I'm just suggesting that that pressure can actually reveal who you really are. And so in the middle of the pressure, let's be the people that pray with devotion. Like, really pray. Just talk to God real. You don't have to be fancy about it. Right? Be alert, pay attention to what's going on around you in your home and your family, inside your world, and make the decision to be grateful. Make the decision to be grateful. And here's your homework for the next 24 hours. Are you ready? Are you online? Are you paying attention? The next 24 hours, no complaining. Just 24 hours. Can you do it? Should I shorten it to 12 just to give you a victory? Can we do 24? No complaining about the weather, about the long lines, about your hair, about a person. No complaining, okay? Because we're making the decision to determine to be grateful. I just think we'll change our communities. If all of a sudden the Christ followers, instead of being the whiners and the whingers, we're the grateful ones. It'll change cultures, right? I'm going to pray. So if you'll just close your eyes just for a moment. This is just to give you like your own sanctuary moment, if you will, just your own quiet moment here with God. Father, I ask that you would help us to be people of gratitude. Help us, God, shift our focus from looking at what's wrong to being grateful for something. Thank you.